specializing in healthy kitchenware and food-preserving supplies like stainless steel dehydrators and old-world pickling crocks. Organic Grace is on the Main Street in Garberville and is on the web at organicgrace.com. And as usual, throughout the broadcast day, the views and opinions expressed on Redwood Community Radio are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the sorry, certainly not necessarily those of listeners, but not necessarily those of the station, the underwriters, or uh, the board of directors. And it could easily be sarcasm, but of course, sarcasm is totally easy to understand on the radio, so you would know it if it is. And without further ado, we'll get to our next talk show, which is Ask Your Herb Doctor. Oops. Thank you once again. This is Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM. My name's Andrew Murray, and uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the show, which runs every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., I'm a licensed medical herbalist who trained in, in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. Uh, my wife and I run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicines and dietary advice and has become uh, very consistent with the last couple of years. Uh, Dr. Pete is uh, happily joining us uh, on the show to share his uh, latest discoveries in his research. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garbville 91.1 FM and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's subject of nitric oxide. Uh, the number, if you live in the area, is 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD, and uh, we can be reached toll-free on 1-888-WBM-HERB for consultations or further information, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. So, Dr. Pete, thanks so much for joining us again. <laughs> uh, for those, perhaps, uh, people who have never heard you, 
uh, would you give an outline of your academic and professional background so that people can understand uh, the work that you've been doing? Uh, uh, first, I uh, studied for a master's degree at the University of Oregon uh, in uh, literature-related things and then studied linguistics for a while. Finally came back to study biology, 1968 to 72, uh, specializing in uh, physiology of uh, reproduction and aging, and uh, especially the, the biochemical side of uh, aging physiology. Okay. All right. So um, I wanted to uh, ask you some ask you some questions about your uh, most recent newsletter, which was uh, based on nitric oxide, uh, and hopefully open it up for people to um, understand the uh, context in which we're talking about um, as a product. I think the very first question that I wanted to pose, uh, given that. Uh, the compound manufactured by Pfizer uh, will be well known to many, uh, both in its generic form uh, and in the uh, off-counter off uh, or other brand label types of product, uh, being Viagra. Um, so nitric oxides has a majorly has a, a vasodilatory effect, as I understand it. And that's just one of them, though. I, I guess that's mediated by Viagra. And that drug is approved, has an FDA approval for erectile dysfunction. What is it about nitric oxide that makes it so dangerous and responsible for things like cardiac arrest, stroke, arrhythmias, and uh, also increased ocular pressure, which most people wouldn't even associate with Viagra, but I've had several people uh, who have used it and have had heart attack and stroke. And that prompted me to even look at it as being something that, it should definitely be taken seriously. And I know also the uh, kind of recreational drug users uh, who use poppers, um, exactly the same compound, it has some very damaging effects on the body. What, what's, uh, what's your take on nitric oxide? Um, speaking of, of poppers, um, uh, several of the early theorists of um, AIDS were uh, blaming it on uh, nit the um, whatever the chemical is, I guess it's nitric oxide that's produced from the poppers, right. so some kind of nitric compound anyway. Yeah. And uh, they were arguing that uh, that in itself was enough to account for the, uh, the AIDS among the people who were using that uh, as a, a pleasure drug. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the 1980s, everyone knew nitric oxide primarily as a toxic component of smog. And uh, so when uh, people started discovering that it was being produced in small amounts in the body, uh, immediately they started looking uh, for the parallels uh, with smog poisoning, uh, a lung injury, uh, circulatory disease, and so on. And one of the first things they found was that it, it uh, kills the uh, beta cells in the pancreas that produce <laughs> insulin. And so in the early 1940s, there was this flurry of papers demonstrating that our internal smog is just as toxic as Los Angeles smog. <laughs> but then uh, the uh, Viagra patent and publicity came out uh, in the later 1990s. And right then, suddenly the medical publications all found that it was a glorious, protective 
natural uh, oh, uh, protecting just about every function you can think of making you smarter have more endurance and uh, all kinds of good things but then after a few years i guess the uh, the investment in publicity started wearing off and people uh, started coming back to the the uh, diabetes producing effects and uh, looking at what it's actually doing biochemically. Um, it, um, the uh, basic way it causes harm probably is that it uh, is kind of parallel to the effects of uh, carbon monoxide or cyanide in uh, being a competitor for oxygen in uh, the mitochondria, the enzymes that uh, produce most of our energy. Um, it, in several ways, knocks out uh, not only the key final respiratory enzyme, uh, cytochrome oxidase, but uh, it uh, poisons the previous uh, electron transporting parts of the uh, mitochondrion, too. Uh, so, uh, simply uh, turning off the energy supply uh, can account for a lot of its problems. Uh, but uh, it also, uh, when you're uh, stopping the oxidative uh, run through the mitochondrion, uh, the mitochondrion uh, starts uh, leaking, in effect, electrons that have no place to go. And the whole cell uh, shifts over to a reduced chemical state. Uh, the, the electrons aren't being uh, constantly drawn down. And so the balance, uh, if, if you imagine a, a stream of electrons uh, falling steadily towards oxygen, when you cut off that, uh, they accumulate and float back. And uh, literally the uh, reducing environment shifts the whole balance of uh, the self-reduced uh, sulfur compounds, and it's expressed all the way out to the surface, and the surface properties of the cell change. And um, the, um, there are some enzymes right at the, across the surface, so that this reducing energy from inside the cell is available uh, to uh, reduce oxygen outside the cell, since mm. the mitochondria aren't using it productively. In fact, this cloud of excess electrons flows through the enzyme called NADPH oxidase and directly reduces oxygen on the surface. And um, that produces superoxide, uh, possibly toxic free radical, which uh, then produces hydrogen peroxide. And uh, uh, in the immune cells, that are under stress, uh, that's considered uh, productive because it helps to break down uh, bacteria or whatever right. is uh, exciting, disturbing the white blood cell. Um, so this, this uh, toxic oxidative burst uh, has its useful aspects, but uh, probably it's uh, one of the... Uh, better outcomes rather than just uh, uh, using the hydrogen peroxide uh, directly or 
uh, uh, producing uh, nitric oxide. This hydrogen peroxide can be used to oxidize chloride uh, that is always present mm -hmm. uh, into hypochlorite, which mm -hmm. becomes uh, one of the very strong germ-digesting chemicals right. uh, that when the phagocyte has eaten something, uh, then it's, uh, basically it's like Clorox. It helps <laughs> uh, break down the particle. Okay, so in general, the nitric, nitric oxide forms a, a pretty energy wasteful uh, mechanism and also damaging in its free radical producing effects. Um, yeah, the, this uh, shift of the whole cell away from oxidation uh, starts, starts that whole uh, process that uh, people are, are still just starting to put together the whole picture of, of how it fits into physiology, but um, it, it has its effects on the nervous system that uh, people are now seeing that Parkinson's disease, uh, for example, uh, has the uh, signs that nitric oxide is, is one of the uh, central damaging components of the uh, dopamine system. Okay. All right, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMD Gavel 91.1 FM. Uh, from 7.30 till the end of the show, 8 o'clock, callers are invited to ask questions about this month's subject of uh, nitric oxide and the ramifications thereof. Um, doesn't have to be specifically about this subject. I know people often call in about other subjects that Dr. Pete's uh, well-versed in, like thyroid, etc. Um, but the number here, if you're in the area, is 923-3911. Or if you're outside the area, there's a toll-free number, which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. So, so far as the uh, damaging effects <coughs> excuse me, of nitrogen ox uh, nitric oxide are, are concerned, um, there's... It's, I think there was three species of uh, nitric oxide, and the one I think that's most commonly uh, referenced in PubMed and other scientific literature for its effects, uh, both negative and for that small beneficial effect of its uh, burst energy burst effect on uh, bacteria, etc., uh, is the inducible nitric oxide synthase. Uh, and that's been implicated in causing an increased severity of disease in, in quite a few different models, uh, one of which was a uh, herpes simplex model and cephalitis, which is a brain inflammation in mice. And then there, I saw other references as well to chronic viral hepatitis in man uh, as definitely being aggravated by nitric oxide and potentially nitric oxide uh, suppression uh, might be a useful uh, treatment uh, for people suffering from chronic hepatitis. Uh, what are the most reasonable ways of blocking nitric oxide synthesis in the body or at least managing its production and providing a buffer to it uh, so that you can maintain the little nitric oxide that is beneficial uh, whilst uh, keeping in check any excess? Um, the, the body has uh, its various natural ways of, of keeping it under control. For example, uh, Progesterone inhibits the enzyme that makes nitric oxide, while estrogen excites and activates that enzyme. And so, the, uh, uh, when the the cell is stabilized by a generous amount of progesterone and the related uh, neurosteroids, the, the stabilizing things, mm -hmm. uh, including pregnenolone, 
uh, those hold down the production. Anything that irritates the cell and excites it, uh, uh, the uh, endotoxin from the intestine is probably the biggest single uh, constant uh, promoter of the production of nitric oxide. Uh, and sometimes uh, serotonin and histamine, which are produced in reaction to uh, endotoxin and other irritating things, uh, these can increase uh, in, in various tissues. Uh, serotonin and histamine can increase the formation of nitric oxide. Um, the, uh, uh, some, in some situations, caffeine and similar drugs uh, that uh, are known to have <clears throat> a variety of protective antitoxic effects are acting by locally in, in a, a certain type of tissue, uh, turning down the uh, nitric oxide production. But in recent years, uh, the old uh, dye, or uh, uh, it was used as a, a treatment for malaria 100 years ago uh, called methylene blue. Um, it's a common lab chemical used for uh, showing the presence of a reducing compound, for example, vitamin C turns it white. Okay. And, uh, uh, lots of people use it to demonstrate uh, uh, chemistry uh, in a visible form. Um, it's being used uh, for a tremendous variety of therapeutic purposes uh, and uh, simply by turning down nitric oxide, which uh, causes so many uh, bad effects, methylene blue is is having very positive effects in this great variety of things, including herpes and uh, uh, other uh, viral, uh, chronic viral diseases. Um, the the, um, the recent news <clears throat> about the Ebola virus, uh, some people have noticed that uh, one of the things if the patient is uh, going to die, their nitric oxide level in the blood is very high, and it's what is causing the blood vessels to leak mm -hmm. and break down, causing uh, blood to leak out uh, every place that it shouldn't. But uh, you see something similar in ordinary influenza and other uh, viral infections. Uh, the... Uh, blood vessels tend to become leaky and uh, produce swelling and uh, a lot of uh, very common side effects that you see in diseases of all sorts. What would, what would you think would be a good short-term uh, approach to that, uh, to block that? Um, from the, um, what's available presently, uh, niacin amide and progesterone are things that are commonly available but uh, methylene blue is uh, probably, uh, when it's available, it's probably a, a good emergency thing to, to uh, turn off uh, the massive amounts of overproduced nit nitric oxide. <clears throat> I, I did read uh, um, an article, uh, I think there were several references to um, methylene blue and its use 
either promoting or suppressing, depending on a dose. And it, it seemed like very small amounts of methylene blue uh, were having this uh, favourable suppressive activity where uh, larger amounts could actually um, cause... Uh, uh, yeah, some of the uh, toxic toxicity experiments have been kind of ridiculous in which they <laughs> uh, feed uh, rats the equivalent. Uh, if you, For a person, it would be an ounce or two of crystalline methylene blue, okay. <laughs> which uh, it would just that amount of, of concentrated any chemical is going to be harmful. But uh, it, it's been uh, 25 years ago, uh, someone did a very well-controlled study of severe depressed people. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, 15 milligrams per day was all it took to uh, relieve severe depression. Uh-huh. And uh, the um, uh, side effects of uh, even uh, many times higher doses than that are essentially uh, zero. Uh, two studies, one by the NIH uh, uh, six years ago and one uh, more, more recent, uh, gave uh, graded doses up to what would be the equivalent of about four or five or six grams a day for a person of the crystalline material, uh, many times higher than the curative antidepressive dose. And uh, they did it for the whole lifespan of rats and mice and uh, saw no life-shortening effects in either uh, rats or mice, but in female mice, in both studies, they saw an extension of the maximum lifespan <laughs> with the highest dose. <laughs> and so in these ridiculously high doses, um, many times, uh, I guess about uh, uh, five to ten times yeah. higher than the dose uh, Paul Ehrlich used more than 100 years ago to treat malaria. Okay. And he cured uh, two cases of malaria in a period of just a couple of weeks, giving uh, five doses a day of 100 milligrams each time orally, but uh, uh, with uh, very much smaller doses, you see uh, uh, changes in the brain and uh, reduced stress and uh, curing depression and so on. Uh, you, but with several times higher doses than he used to cure malaria, uh, you still don't see any harmful effects. And uh, in animal experiments, uh, it took uh, one of the gigantic doses equivalent to, I, I think it was about eight grams a day for a person before it stopped showing the simple antidepressive actions. Now, do you think the um, the effects of methylene blue are... There's probably multiple effects, but I wonder if any of the uh, e- electron uh, quenching or uh, electrical stabilizing activity of methylene blue might be uh, responsible for interacting with different proteins and and that kind of... Uh, that kind of uh, um, um, yeah, it, um, one of the known mechanisms is that it can... Uh, receive electrons right. from the uh, mediator that receives them from glucose. And uh, uh, NADH, for example, 
can be oxidized, and then the methylene blue can pass those electrons onto the part of the mitochondrion that is still working, bypassing damaged parts of the mitochondrion. So it can uh, act like the missing enzyme, simply restoring mitochondrial function. But in subtler ways, um, for example, uh, the... um, uh, receptor that causes excitotoxic damage from uh, overdoses of glutamic acid, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that is depleting the brain of energy while stimulating it uh, activates these uh, uh, glutamate receptors. And uh, there are two sulfur groups in those proteins that respond to excitotoxins that uh, methylene blue oxidizes those and turns off the receptor and stops the excitotoxic process. And uh, that's one of the ways the the excitotoxic process is one of the things that turns on nitric oxide production going ahead and killing the cell. That's why the excited state is uh, toxic, uh, largely because of the production of of nitric oxide. Okay, now I guess methylene blue uh, is not an FDA-controlled substance or anything. I think it's fairly uh, fairly widely available. It's just a dye, isn't it? I think t- typically it's known as a dye. I know it's a tissue stain. Um, and fish stores use it. I'm, fish? I'm not sure how, how they use it, but it's for um, sterilizing aquariums or uh-huh. something. And the, uh, fish farmers use it to um, uh, cure uh, various fish infections. Huh. Okay, okay. Well, people listening perhaps might uh, might want to start looking up uh, methylene blue uh, and its implications in the treatment and or uh, prevention of different uh, degenerative conditions. So, um, ex- extremely cheap, I'm sure. Uh, not at all patented, not controlled. And uh, if there's some good studies coming out showing methylene blue's uh, positive effects uh, in blocking nitric oxide, I think that could be well worth people looking at as an alternative uh, to many many of the drugs that people might be using for uh, different conditions. Okay. I, I've counted about uh, six different ways that methylene blue uh, stops or, or blocks the production of... Uh, uh, methylene of uh, nitric oxide. Okay, go on. Do you want to do you want to share them or? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> okay. The, the excitotoxic thing was one. Yeah. Uh, of preventing uh, uh, excess uh, uh, polymerization of of the microtubules. Okay. Another. Um, the um, probably increasing progesterone production. Uh, inhibiting uh, estrogen production yeah. uh, but uh, probably the, the uh, uh, most important thing people should do is to uh, start being critical about the tremendous amount of propaganda selling the idea that uh, people should eat more arginine to <laughs> increase their uh, nitric oxide production wow wow yeah i don't know it's it's it's, it's it always amazes me how how this stuff actually comes into circulation as uh, quote common knowledge, uh, and how uh, how easily influenced the uh, the media is by uh, big pharma. Anyway, not to go on too much about that because we could probably go on forever about how uh, 
how Big Pharma have their hooks all over. Anyway, it's uh, coming up for 7.30. I've seen the lights flashing a couple of times, and I don't know if anyone's on the line at the moment. No shaking his head must have gone off. OK, no problem. Well, you're listening to Ask Your Rob Doctor on KMD Galbill, 91.1 FM. Uh, from now until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's subject of nitric oxide uh, and how to control its damaging effects. Uh, Dr Raymond Peet is with us in the studio. Uh, he's, uh, he's a pretty foremost uh, authority on lots of different subjects surrounding hormones uh, and ageing uh, and all the interactions of thereon. Uh, and he's with us in the show, so we'll be... Uh, yeah, we have a caller on the line already, look at that. <laughs> OK, caller, you're on the air, and where are you from? I'm from uh, southern Humboldt here. OK. Yeah. Um, John. Um I wanted to know if all of the estrogen imitators that are around us in the environment that we've created for ourselves to live in are also uh, something that will put us at risk. Very much. Very much so, yeah. That's, yeah. That's okay. A... I think I've seen that bisphenol A activates nitric oxide production. There you go. And that's an estrogen promoter or uh, uh, mimic. Yeah, okay, so environmental estrogen is very much uh, a negative uh, impact on our health, many of which have come from petrochemical industry, plastics industry, uh, etc. Uh, Dr. Pete, what do you think some of the most damaging environmental estrogens that you know of that are... Oh, um, the um, natural estrogen is... Um, it's damaging enough. <laughs> yeah, it's through the sewage, it's getting into the rivers. Uh-huh. And uh, for, for the environment, uh, I think that the natural estrogen and the uh, birth control right. estrogens that are many times stronger than natural right. estrogen and that's are coming showing in up in all of the uh, downstream yep. uh, waterways that, that uh, receive sewage. So wastewater management does not selectively remove hormones from the water, then? Are you saying that it's, uh, it's found... It, I wonder if it's reasonable to posit that there is uh, detectable amounts in drinking water even. Well, as a, a sewer board person, I can tell you that one of the ways that they tell whether water is coming from a sewage system or from, from nature is they look for caffeine that's considered one of the chemicals that makes it through and is a marker for sewage as opposed to, huh. you know, animal waste or whatever. So, yeah, a lot of those chemicals do make it through. Mm. Okay, did we have any other questions? Well, yeah, the other part of my question was, uh, uh, <clears throat> is there a, a plant or an herb that actually produces or mimics methylene blue hmm. that you can ingest instead of... Oh, um, I've been looking around at various molecules, and um, it, it was a, a precursor for many of the drugs, the tricyclic antidepressants and tricyclic antihistamines and uh, anti-inflammatories, uh, I think all grew out of the dye industry that uh, uh, methylene blue was one of the very first examples of. But uh, the, it's a, a three-ring molecule, and uh, uh, that seems probably because it's structurally uh, roughly the same size and shape uh, as the steroid hormones. 
probably uh, can get into the many many of the places that are uh, natural steroids act. And uh, uh, so I've looked around at uh, plants that make uh, analogous things. Um, the tetracyclines uh, have many of the same anti-inflammatory effects. I suspect they're also working against nitric oxide. They just have one extra ring, but in a, a very similar arrangement. And uh, uh, vitamin K and vitamin E are even analogous in some ways. Uh, uh, Lapacho, uh, a, a chemical uh, from a South American tree, uh, has a, it's a, a dye that has uh, many of the uh, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer properties of methylene blue. Spell that. As Lapacho is a tababui in petiginosa, so T A B E B U I A, tababui in impetiginosa, it's a South American, uh, tall South American hardwood. <coughs> but it's okay. used ex- extensively for cancer, as Dr. Pete mentioned. And they call it Pau de Arco. And, la- and recently, people are talking about a thing, uh, an Asian herb. Uh, I think one of the names is black cumin, but it contains thymoquinone, and the the quinones are, I think, the essential uh, uh, model of of the protective uh, pro-oxidant stabilizing uh, chemical. And thymoquinone is considered to be a very powerful anti-inflammatory, and I suspect that it'll turn out to be uh, acting against excess uh, nitric oxide. So it's a free radical quencher again, isn't it, the quinones? Are they... Have uh, that? It, yeah, that's just one of their... Right. Their right. Many, they seem to <coughs> activate the right kind of oxidation while quenching the bad kind. Yeah. Okay, very good. We do have... All right, well, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for your caller, caller. We yeah. have uh, three callers on, on the lines here, so let's get them one after the other. Caller, you're on the air, where are you from? Me? Hi, you're on the air. Where are you from? Hi, uh, Arcada. Arcada, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. What's your question? Uh, thanks. I've been listening to your show for a good four years or so. Um, <laughs> a couple of quick uh, review questions from the past um, that I've been wondering about for a long time. It was mentioned some time ago about a nutrient, I believe, that could uh, help uh, remediate or, you know, fix the earlobe crease. Does that ring any bell? What was the last thing you said? It took... Oh, earlobe crease. Oh, the earlobe. earlobe crease. Yeah, that's a thyroid uh, deficiency, then, huh? Yeah, I think it is uh, mainly a thyroid deficiency. Okay, and did I hear at the time a a recommendation, a simple recommendation for correction of that? Was there a nutrient, or is that a much more complex uh, matter to address? I think the main uh, thing causing hypothyroidism in so many people is an excess of the polyunsaturated fatty acids because uh, they're able to uh, block the production of thyroid, uh, its transport, and its action. So uh, they're they're very uh, capable of antagonizing thyroid function. So so to avoid all the nuts and seeds uh, that contain liquid oils in them, so nuts 
and seeds are principally the kind of uh, polyunsaturated sources and obviously there are other polyunsaturates yet uh, commonly available in food that you should definitely avoid. So any of the liquid oils, uh, obviously. Uh, what about like coconut oil? Is that cool? Coconut oil saturated, so that's good. That's, uh, Dr. Pete's always uh, recommending coconut oil and butter. Uh, as being the two saturated sources of fat that should be the most uh, consumed and then to avoid all the liquids, uh, liquid polyunsaturates obviously fish oil being the worst Okay uh, Whoa, like cod liver oil? Use that too, but I, I think Dr. Pete, don't you say that the uh, the vitamin content in cod liver oil uh, Oh, yeah, the, if you don't have any better source <laughs> uh, cod liver oil is a great source of vitamin D Yeah But uh, yeah. It's better to get sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. okay. May, one may... quick other question. Go ahead. There was something that came up about eating carrots, and um, I don't know what the term would be, but uh, I want to say like an astringent or a, a, a cleaning or a yeah. purifying or an antiseptic yeah. aspect of eating carrots. But it was recommended that it be that carrots be cut diagonally, and as a juicer and a no. uh, cook i guess in my own food i thought that was a bit peculiar and i wondered if that could be elaborated upon now i think dr pete's always mentioned that grated grated carrots to increase the surface area uh, ah. is is the mechanism that's preferred and that's basically as a uh, antiseptic if you like for the gut removing excess estrogen and other waste products and it's undigested so uh, has a uh, a pretty good action in the gut without physically being changed but, like, chewing it is not enough to enhance the surface area, like breaking it down? Well, not the same, because ultimately when you grate the product in a grater, then you obviously have a big surface area then, and whatever you chew that up from then is going to increase it still. Uh, the, the juice does contain a lot of good things, but if you throw away the fiber, you're losing uh, the most important for stimulating and cleaning the intestine. Thanks for your call. I've got a couple more callers here, so let's take the next caller. Where are you from? Hello, caller. You're on the air. Where are you from? Was on the air. Engineer, is he on the air? On. I guess not. Caller, 321. Actually, the other caller hung up, too. Hello? Oh, there you go. Oh, I'm here. Yeah. Where are you from, caller? <coughs> Excuse me, I'm from Southern Humboldt. Okay, go ahead. What's your question? Well, I've got a couple of questions. First, did you say that L-arginine was bad? I've heard that that was supposed to be good for you, but I'm not sure what it's supposed to do. Okay, Dr. P, arginine, you mentioned it a moment ago. As being... um, yeah. Um, and is there a difference noticing, between arginine uh, and L-arginine? Uh, yeah, the, the Internet is just swamped with <laughs> advertisements for uh, ways to... Um, Supplement arginine. Uh, L-arginine is just the, the natural uh, amino acid, but it, if you um, get more than you need, it will increase your tendency to overproduce nitric oxide. And uh, too much tryptophan uh, happens to boost that, uh, and uh, possibly by increasing serotonin, but. Uh, it's very important to keep your amino acids in a good balance, especially avoiding too much cysteine, tryptophan, methionine, and arginine. So you don't recommend taking a, an L-arginine supplement? 
Um, no, I think it's very dangerous. Oh, okay. Um, now, um, did you say that Viagra uh, is uh, bad for you because it's made out of this nitric oxide stuff? Um, it inhibits an enzyme that um, uh, is supposed to inactivate a, a substance made by uh, uh, the uh, production of nitric oxide. Nitric oxide starts a chain reaction, and Viagra uh, keeps that chain reaction going. And uh, in the process, it ends up systemically increasing not only the effect of nitric oxide, but even in some situations, the level of nitric oxide. Uh, so it, it probably is uh, increasing uh, the uh, aging process, basically, in uh, brain, heart, pancreas, uh, everywhere you get an excess of nitric oxide. But they say having sex is good for you. If you can't have sex, that's not so great either. I mean, it's, uh, is, there, is it a matter of moderation and not using it too often? Is, can it be okay if you use some of it? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a man. Oh, oh, well, it's one of the essential amino acids, and so if you eat uh, any good high-quality protein, uh, even potatoes, milk, cheese, you're going to get all of the arginine you need. No, no, I'm talking about Viagra now. Oh, Viagra. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, is uh, that, like, totally bad, or is it okay, you know, to, to have some of it? Because I'm saying if that improves the sexual function, you know, of, of an older man, then sexual function is supposed to be a good thing. Well, doc, well, I mean, Dr. is Pete. there a balance there, or do you think it's totally bad? Uh, I, I think it would be uh, better to work on the actual physiological uh, problem, improving natural circulation and, uh, uh, for example, uh, restoring good thyroid function will often uh, increase libido and potency. Now, Dr. Pete, well, I, I remember now some time ago you also mentioning uh, pregnenolone and or progesterone as being very positive. I mean, I, I, in the past it always talked about um, progesterone potentially being uh, slightly sedative and maybe... Um, decreasing, I think, now you have said this, let me quote you, I think you said decreasing uh, penis size, but it does not block the vasodilatory ability, and so therefore actually does promote and uh, enable erection, but actually is a reasonably safe way of doing that in males. Um, well, what about uh, testosterone? Uh, the, uh, One thing at a time, huh? Aging men uh, uh, have decreased amounts of testosterone and progesterone, and increasing amounts of estrogen. And uh, uh, that increased estrogen and uh, uh, the decreased amounts of the protective steroids, I think, uh, will uh, increase the tendency to have uh, erectile problems. And w one of the uh, really odd side effects of increased nitric oxide is that it uh, decreases the ability to make testosterone. Mm. And uh, at least in women, it lowers the uh, progesterone uh, synthesis. But uh, those uh, are synthesized very similarly. So I think in, in both men and women, nitric oxide is uh, opposing and lowering those protective steroids while uh, increasing estrogen. 
Well, what about Cialis? Is that just the same as Viagra? There's several uh, mm-hmm. products on the market that are supposed to yeah, help another, men with their erections. It's another version. Uh, are they all the same? Yeah, pretty much. Mm. All right. Well, okay. um, thank you. Yep. Thanks for your call. Okay, Dr. P, um, I wanted to ask you some more questions about um, nitric oxide and or some of the articles I've seen about it promoting cancer. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on the cancer-promoting effects of nitric oxide? Um, I think it's one of the uh, central factors in, in keeping cancer going, mm-hmm. and uh, so turning it off. Uh, uh, I, I you, don't, see, you don't necessarily think it's a promoter then, or in as much oh, as... Oh, yeah, it is a, a definite promoter of cancer growth and metastasis. Okay. Uh, many publications are now recognizing that, uh, breast cancer, prostate cancer, and probably uh, every cancer will probably eventually uh, be discovered to uh, respond badly to nitric oxide. Hmm. Okay. Um, uh, the... Uh, function of uh, anything interfering with respiration, uh, uh, that's where the, the Varberg hypothesis w- was that uh, simply uh, shifting away from oxygen as the energy source to uh, being able to produce too much lactic acid even when there's oxygen because the cell has lost its mitochondrial function. Right. Um, uh, nitric oxide and uh, carbon monoxide are both able to uh, knock out the mitochondrial function and imitate the cancer metabolism. And uh, uh, there, there are several recent publications uh, showing that the the Varberg cancer metabolism is created by uh, nitric oxide excess, and it's turned off by methylene blue simply by turning off the uh, production of nitric oxide. Okay. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM. Uh, from now till the end of the show, 8, uh, eight o'clock, uh, we're pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete joining us on the show. The number here is 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, there's a toll-free number, which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Um, so, Dr. Pete, again, I uh, had, a, had a question on my mind that this during this week that uh, reading different research on different diseases and apart from that knowing that some individuals are just inherently uh, more able to enjoy good health um, seemingly against all odds have you any uh, any understanding of why some individuals for example are immune to HIV some individuals mount a successful response against hepatitis. Uh, some individuals uh, just have an, an innate immunity which enables them to to overcome what it is they come into contact with and they don't suffer from it. Do you, do you think there's any connection between anything that you've read that you know about that you might be able to explain that from? Um, uh, yeah, the, the, um, uh, there are... Uh new ideas about the whole functioning of the immune system that have been coming up in the last 20 years. Uh, Jamie Cunliffe and uh, Polly Matzinger are Mm -hmm. the leading figures in that view of the immune system. And uh, I see it as uh, uh, imagining the body as an ecosystem which is 
uh, simply so strong in some people at maintaining its own organization and stability that when uh, something extraneous like a bacterium or a virus or a cancer cell uh, happens to invade it, uh, the uh, situation is so tightly organized in favor of maintaining the uh, host organism Mm -hmm. that the invader can't find a place. The niches are all (laughs) occupied uh, doing business with the the owner of the property. There's <laughs> uh-huh. simply no, no so, place to camp out. Like the strong man in the house, no one can invade it. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> and I don't see it as, as a killing of the invader, but simply as using up all of the electron space productively mm-hmm. uh, so that uh, Keeping the invaders the door shut. can't do strange things with it, like <laughs> turning sugar into lactic acid. Okay, I uh, I'd love to be able to get into the subject uh, that I saw uh, posted last thing today, uh, and that was uh, to quote what I've I've said before many times, and that I think has been repeated through generations that you are what you eat. Um, I think I'd love to get into that subject with you next month. I think we have another caller on the air anyway, but I'd love to get into that subject next month and uh, just show that what we hear sometimes really does mean a lot more than we take for granted and that actually a lot of the uh, things that are passed down from old generations to now really have their roots in fundamental science and that uh, science now is at last being able to bear that out. So let me just uh, get this other caller on the air and then uh, we'll carry on. Actually, two simple questions coming through me. Okay. First one is MSM and does it have an influence on male or female libido? Okay, Dr. Pete? Methylene sulfmethone, is it? Uh, I believe. Uh, it, yeah. I'm uh, very cautious about <laughs> it. Uh, uh, the the um, dimethyl uh, sulfide, uh, I think, is, has its uses, but I'm not sure that uh, there's anything really uh, fully safe uh, with MSM. And what about DCA or dichloroacetate for cancers? Um, uh, that happens to uh, be very similar to methylene blue in the way it is uh, essentially non-toxic in moderate amounts. Uh, People are now getting as much as 10 or 12 grams of it per day intravenously and feeling great. Uh, But what it does is uh, restore the productive oxidation of glucose, uh, getting the electrons to go all the way from glucose to form carbon dioxide, uh, pretty much what methylene blue is doing in different situations. But uh, the DCA is uh, reversing the uh, cancer metabolism or the the so-called Varberg uh, metabolism uh, the same way that methylene blue does. Uh, So I see it as a a very important uh, way of uh, making up for the toxic effects of uh, nitric oxide, endotoxin, uh, uh, free radical, fat oxidation, and so on. And you've spoken of antioxidants that are too strong. Could you maybe give a spectrum of antioxidants and say, is ALA too strong, or what is the strongest antioxidant you would recommend, and uh, THC in that spectrum as well? Um, uh, vitamin E 
and uh, ascorbic acid uh, in the right proportion and the right situation uh, are very safe and constructive. Um, uh, lipoic, alpha lipoic acid uh, uh, is pretty safe, uh, but uh, I, I would uh, be very cautious with uh, the uh, acetylcysteine. I think large amounts of it can uh, push the balance in the wrong direction. Okay. All right. Um, <clears throat> Dr. P, I had a, a question actually from a, a person who wrote to me who said that they were unable to call in because they were outside the country and I think by the time I responded to them to ask them what country they were in it was probably already too late and I have come across this with other people anyway uh, in our own practice and um, working with you um, I think I understand the situation but I'd like to hear it from you um, it was particularly was a, uh, a woman who said that she had uh, hypothyroidism symptoms including depression weight gain, cold hands and feet dry hair and skin her TSH her thyroid stimulating hormone uh, was 1.6, which wasn't super high, but I know you like it to be as close to zero as possible. And her T3 was 3.5. She said she used to take armothyroid. She was prescribed this by a doctor, and it um, helped with symptoms for a few months. And she said that uh, when, she st when she tried to supplement with T3 or a T3 and T4 combination, she developed anxiety and tachycardia. Uh, she said she's experimented with doses as small even as one milligram of T3, and she said it would send her into a hypothyroid-type state. Uh, I think that's kind of anxiety and palpitations. It may be a, um, a an adrenaline thing, but she said, is there anything that she could do to better tolerate thyroid supplementation? She's currently taking zinc, gluconate, vitamin D, vitamin K. Uh, she's using 4,000 4, IU of vitamin uh, D. She's using Progesty, the second half of her menstrual cycle, and menstrual cycle, aspirin, magnesium and calcium. She also eats liver weekly. What, what do you think might cause that in a person who previously might have used thyroid and then suddenly becomes what they call sensitive to it and unable to, un unable to use it? Um, uh, sometimes I think it's that the product has changed. Uh, European forms of uh, thyroid supplement seem to be uh, very unpredictable. But uh, if it's... Uh, for sure the same product, uh, then usually a magnesium deficiency mm. uh, can cause exactly those symptoms uh, because the thyroid makes your cells able to use magnesium and so take it up. Uh, but a, a big uh, uh, organ like, like your uh, skeletal muscles and bones uh, can uh, take up so much from your blood that your brain and heart and such uh, have trouble getting the uh, uh, magnesium they need to respond to the thyroid, and uh, then you get an exaggerated stress and adrenaline reaction. And low thyroid, low cholesterol is is another limiting factor. If you have very low cholesterol, uh, you can't respond to uh, increasing your thyroid because uh, one of the basic functions of thyroid is to turn cholesterol into progesterone, pregnenolone, and DHEA. Okay, so what, uh, what kind of dose of magnesium would you think for that kind of person would be suitable? Um, about a, 100 milligrams at a time uh, as you uh, uh, take, the, the, um, say, one or two micrograms of cytomel or cinomel, uh, 
100 micrograms will, will be plenty for um, oh, the, the first two or three hours of responding to one or two micrograms. Hmm. Okay. And I, I, uh, I looked earlier on as I was doing, uh, doing some searching around. I saw that the, uh, the main principal sources, it seemed, of magnesium were nuts. Uh, nuts and seeds. Uh, there, I think there were small amounts, um, small amounts in some, in soy. But I think, uh, principally, what would you recommend as a good magnesium source? Uh, fruit juices and fruit. coffee, I think, are, uh, if, if you, um, want a really intense source, you can boil leaves like uh, kale or, right. or beet greens or something uh, just for two or three minutes, and the, the green water that comes out quickly is very concentrated in magnesium and calcium. Okay, excellent. Uh, that's a, a very pretty safe supplement. Yeah. Uh, coffee and fruit juices are uh, practical and uh, something you can do every day. Okay, all right. But like I said, uh, perhaps uh, perhaps next month, uh, if you're available, I'd love to look into that new research. Well, actually, I think it was bought out in nineteen uh, late mid mid nineteen sixties by that Korean. It sounded very interesting about the uh, the third circulatory system in the body, and actually that you are what you eat, because there is a, uh, a pretty intimate interaction between uh, food products uh, and. Our, our own DNA, they can be switched on and off and uh, regulated. That sounded pretty fascinating. Uh, yeah, there's a German group that has been doing this for about 15 years now, looking at the uh, <laughs> DNA from our foods uh, getting incorporated into our own DNA. Yeah. And uh, some biologists have been uh, theorizing about this for the last 100 years. Uh, Carl uh, Lindegren uh, was someone who reviewed the topic about 50 years ago uh, uh, showing good evidence that uh, organisms all across the spectrum are, are sharing nucleic acid. Yeah. Uh, pollen, for example, uh, when you ingest uh, pollen that's blowing in the air, uh, some of the DNA uh, is probably uh, actually getting incorporated <laughs> into our uh, chromosomes. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I, I want to let people know how to find out more about you if they've not heard about you. So thanks so much for give, uh, giving your time uh, for the show this evening, Dr. Pete. Okay, thank you. Okay, so for people who've listened to the show or maybe haven't heard of Dr. Pete before, he's got a wealth of information on his website. It's freely accessible. It's fully referenced scientific uh, material. Uh, it's not just made up. It's fully referenced, and uh, there's plenty of articles uh, both on PubMed and other medical our research sites to validate what Dr. Pete's saying. It's uh, it's the science that uh, provides the answers, and it's not what we know in the mainstream media, which is uh, told to us by pharmaceutical companies and other vested interests. But the scientists that are uh, interested in humanitarian causes are definitely finding lots of very novel ways of treating disease. So don't just think that what you see on the television or read the newspapers is the only way that uh, you can get yourself healthy so raymond pete's website is www.raypete.com it's got lots of articles and for those of you uh, who'd like to get in contact with us uh, during regular business hours we can be reached on one eight 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 wbm herb for further information so until december's show thanks so much for joining
Kema thanks Jessica Baker of Jade Dragon Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio. Practicing and teaching Chinese medicine, herbalism, and aromatherapy, Jessica is available for conferences, workshops, and private consultations. Located at 607 F Street in Arcata, Jade Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 822-4300 or online at jadedragonacupuncture.com. And support for k comes from